Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Prods.com movies and television podcast. As always, I'm dead. I'm joined today we have Caveman. Woo, CoronaCast! Yay! Yeah, uh, so it's been a month. Has it? Has it, Dad? Yes, according to um, SoundCloud. But yeah, um, yeah, sorry. Just kind of blanket... Sorry to everyone who listens to any of our content. Uh, all four of you. Birdie listens to it four times over? Yeah, I know. It's weird. I guess he, I guess he needs something to do when he's fucking... I guess he needs something to stave out whatever fucking droning nightmare is happening at whatever school he's working at. Oh, believe me. It's a droning nightmare. <laughs> yeah. I have not heard stories, but I've heard him talk, but I've heard his voice when he talks about that stuff. And it's just like, oh, okay, you're about to die. But anyway, yeah. So sorry about the lack of stuff recently. Um, just scheduling conflicts, um, not having anything to talk about, and me moving has put a damper on things. Uh, but yeah, I am now all situated in. Um, I got a big old fuck off curtain behind me, so hopefully that reduces the echo in this big old room I'm in. Because I am moving out an apartment. And yeah, so going forward, we should. I sh- I should. I'm. I keep saying we. This, this is largely on me. Actually, this is entirely on me. Any any issues with like scheduling? Hey, I could have forced you to record at some point. Yeah, but then also a matter of like editing, uploading. Yeah, but we haven't recorded in a while, so it is in part on me. I also have, just for reference, um, the last the last record, the last posting of Felling Titans. Uh, I already had another two episodes in the in the tank. We also have recorded two more since then, and we're about to record the final. We're going to record the uh, penultimate two tomorrow at time of recording, and then we'll only have three left from that. You'll probably be seeing all of them by the end of the year. Because, you know, I'm really good at scheduling stuff. I'm really good at, you know, you know, doing things. I was going to write a fucking review of a game that came out like three weeks ago. I was planning to do it three weeks ago. I haven't done it. And now I won't do it because it's been three weeks. Uh, Murder by Numbers. Oh, I've heard that was that's really good. It's pretty good. We'll talk about it next week on the Video Games Podcast. Yeah, we'll talk about it there. And you are cutting out immensely. <sighs> Yay, we're back recording. My internet has gone to shit. Yep. But hey. So yeah, with with Corona there, I'm assuming that we've taken some time to actually stand and watch stuff. You have sat down to watch stuff, right, Caveman? Uh, you guys want to hear me talk about uh, Murder, She Wrote again? <laughs> <laughs> no, I have watched some new things. Um, 
It's some very new things, in fact. Stuff that was just uh, dropped onto Netflix recently. Uh. Oh, oh, I'm, am I going? Yeah. Well, if I'm going, then I've got to start with God damn the it. saga that is Ultra Q. You fucking started out with you started out with a fucking great segue into what you're going to be talking about. Realized you didn't realize you were talking, and then it was like, <laughs> well, usually we're like, oh yeah, okay, man, you go. <laughs> I'm just like, okay, but no, uh, I do want to talk about Ultra Q first because. Jesus Christ, is this show a roller coaster? <laughs> Highlighted even more so by the ending. Okay. So Ultra Q has a very um, interesting system for how it does its episodes. You'll get an interesting one. Then you'll get a weird one. And then you'll get like four boring ones. And then you get a really weird one. So like, it's it's a, Ooh, what was that? That was exciting. And then... I don't know where my I don't know where my pants are anymore, and then you fall asleep for a little while and you wake up to see a giant dancing Christmas tree that wants to kill the world. You know. Like a Doctor Who special. So that is kind of how it ended. It was like, oh, that was an interesting episode, which I don't actually remember, but uh it featured a monster shattering into a gajillion pieces, and then a weird one. With, like, a snail demon that drilled through Tokyo? Like, it all feels like a fever dream at this point. <laughs> That's the show. It feels like a fever dream. It sounds like a fever dream. Um, then we got a couple of boring episodes, some with kids and shit, which weren't even worth my fucking time mentioning. And then the best goddamn episode of the series, if only because I don't fucking understood what happened. And... It illustrates the whole roller coaster thing because it's about a flying fucking train from an alternate future reality. I feel like we've talked about this before and I don't know if we have or not. I have not talked to you about this yet. I have been saving it for this. Because it sounds like like in the like in the abstract or whatever, it does sound ridiculous. But in talking about it, I feel like we've talked about this before at some point. Well, in the uh, talking about it for the show, <laughs> um, the uh, the team goes to hunt down a missing science fiction writer because he has information on a flying train that some rando says that he got on and eventually later boards again because his family is the worst. Like, he leaves the train because he's like, I've got to get back to my family and let family, them know I'm all family, right. Family. And then, then he he gets home and his wife is just bitching at him and bitching at him and bitching at him. And his daughter's yelling at them about how they're both ruining the family, even though the father's just like, I was just trying to go to work. <laughs> I didn't even have any alcohol. <laughs> so he, he, like, tells the cab driver to stop. Gets all out of the cab and says, I want to board the train again. And... I don't even fucking know what happens. But, like, like this sci-fi writer apparently was such a mentalist that he was able to go into the world of his books and then using magical technology from this weird sci-fi future world send new books back, which are basically him cataloging his normal life. This man has abandoned his wife, his home, our world, for a better one. And it's just the trippiest shit. <laughs> <laughs> like Ultra Q, worth a watch. It so, is worth. So wait a watching. minute. So you. So he is getting books sent to himself from the. F no, no, no. He's sending the books to his wife. 
He's sending the books to his wife to publish, which is why the wife doesn't think he's dead. Okay. Okay. So that, okay. I, I caught about every other word of the last three minutes. I'm sorry. And so, okay. So he, yeah, so he, so he like gets on the train is like, Oh, this is awesome. It's like, Oh, about my family, family, family. So then he gets off the train, goes, goes to go back home. Then on the way home, remembers his family sucks. Yeah. I was like, I was like, you need to get back to my family, family, family. Oh, wait, fuck them. Let me back to that future shit. Fucking yeet. Yeah, I'm doing a terrible job explaining it. Um, I probably did a terrible job explaining it. What? I feel like, I feel like you did an all right job explaining it. I did a terrible job explaining it. Yeah, but like I ended it Ultra with heat. Q, Ultra Q is a is a show that is well worth the watch for anyone who is into kaiju, if only for the drinking game that Birdie and I played, which was drink every time you recognize something from another monster. <laughs> <laughs> and boy howdy, some nights did we get drunk. <laughs> Because the person who did it was the guy who did the suit effects for, like, the uh, Godzilla movies. Yeah. So, like, Toho was just like, yeah, you can borrow our shit. We don't care. Um, yeah, just, and yeah, you can't go to the prop room. Just take anything not nailed down. That's what it felt like. <laughs> um, and it was, like, some monsters were such a glorious hodgepodge. Others were just like, hey, we slapped a horn on this regular monster. What do you think? And still others were just something entirely new and creative. And then there was the rest of the episodes. <laughs> there was some boring fucking episodes in this show. But, like, overall, I, I will recommend Ultra Q to any kaiju fan. If only because, well, I really got a laugh out of it. And I want to talk to more people about this shit. Like, I'm very glad that Birdie has been trying to get me to watch Ultraman. Because that's the reason we watched Ultra Q. And it was worth the watch. Every second of it. I'm just now in my head picturing, like, like a classic monster like Anguirus showing up. But then, but then like, 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 like you said, like... Oh, Anguirus did show up. Wait, really? He just had a different head on. <laughs> no, I'm talking about, like, full-on just... Anguirus, but they just took a horn and then super glued it onto one of his other horns. I told you about the Godzilla about the Godzilla that's just Godzilla if he was a seal, right? No, you have not. His name is Pigwila, and he's Godzilla, but they attached like fins and whiskers to him. Like I swear it's the Godzilla suit, and Birdie agreed with me. Okay. Like, it just you, looks like the Godzilla suit. How do you spell Pigwila? P-E-G-U-I, I think it's 1-L-A. But just type that and Ultra Q into Google and you should get the actual monster. Yeah, no, that's not the Godzilla suit. I don't remember Godzilla having genital warts. Am I thinking of a different monster's name? You, you, might, you might be. Because, like... I'm I'm not that I'm not exactly that familiar with Godzilla. I don't. No, no, that is that that is the Godzilla suit. They've just slapped extra shit on top of him. The fuck? Like that is the exact design for the Godzilla suit. They like they basically removed the outer skin and just put a new one on with wings and whiskers. 
Okay. See, do they actually mention which suit it is? Also, do realize that we watch this in black and white, and the image you're looking at is color. <laughs> so, but yeah, no, that 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 is the Godzilla suit. There is one mention of Godzilla on this page, and that it is um, and that that is in his second episode. His roar was changed to a reused Varen roar mixed with the Godzilla 1954 roar. Yeah, we recognize that too. Um, but what well, uh, like? I think it looks like Godzilla's a Godzilla suit. Birdie thought it looked like a Godzilla suit. The suit of you Pe- don't. The suit of Pigwilla was slightly modified from the Kaiju Chandora that appeared in episode eight of Ultraman. Um, that's impossible because Ultra Q came out before Ultraman. Da, 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 da. Ultraman began airing in 1966. Birdie told me Ultra Q came first. Ultra Q. Began airing in 66 as well, actually. Yeah, uh, the final episode of Ultra Q is the first episode of Ultraman. Which, moving on to Ultraman. Um, okay, so so it's not impossible. What it is, is they had the suit for Pegwilla, and then they modified it into Chandora. Um, oh, yeah, so fuck, moving just on straight to- up. What? Just, just, chan- just fucking, Jesus Christ, that is ridiculous. That is... I'm sending you the image. That's Chandora. Oh, wow. They just cut the fins down and added a dog nose. Yeah, and some black spray paint in some places. Wow, that's bad. <laughs> um, but, yeah. Uh, so, Ultra Q. Recycle those assets. Ultra fun. I loved Ultra Q. Um, Ultraman. Oh, wow. That was a tone shift. <laughs> Like Ultra Q had some darker moments. It like it was still kid friendly, but like they weren't afraid to kill people. Like Ultra Q was was good. Uh, Ultra <laughs> Ultra Man was trash. Uh, I've been enjoying what I've been watching so far, but it is definitely far more kid friendly than say like Common Rider V One. Which is one of my favorite Sentai shows ever. Um, yeah, it's it's a little too kid friendly in my opinion. Okay. Um, the characters that we know and love from Ultra Q do come back, as far as I can tell. I think like one is missing. Um, and like all like all the male ch- characters have been kind of turned into semi joke characters. And the female characters are there to be eye candy, which is a bit of a shame. Because, uh, like, our female lead was actually a really, really, like, competently written woman for the 60s. Which... The Japanese I mean, 60s. It was, yeah, it was kind of confusing to think that that was a thing. But it was, so... Just yay. <laughs> like... Just a woman shows up, does something. Like, the woman shows up, doesn't immediately fuck everything up, and everyone's just like, holy shit, progression. Yeah, I mean. Um, ah, the past was trash. Uh, she also wasn't just written to be a love interest. But what? I know, right? Man, I love shitting on the past. <laughs> 
Well, it deserves it for for largely being shitty. Yeah. I think that's kind of why I was never able to get into a show like Mad Men. Just I sit down to watch it and I'm like, oh. Fuck all of this that's happening. Yeah, it was pretty shitty. Like, like the show itself, like, writing-wise, character-wise, yeah, that's all fucking... Yeah, sure, that's fine. Like it, that, that all, from looking looking at it as 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 like, I would, I'm trying to find a way to not say objectively looking at it because that's stupid. But just looking at it without the yo fuck the past, yeah, it's all really well written, really well acted, everything directed, yeah, it's all really good. Just yo fuck the past. What were we talking about again? I fucking uh the sixties and how uh, shitty the f- how shitty the portrayal of women was. Right, Ultraman. Yeah, so Ultraman, like I said, did a pretty damn good job with its portrayal of women. Shock. Um, but like, um. Oh god, my brain just turned off. <laughs> We're professionals. Support us on Patreon. Shut up. <laughs> I'm no better, dude. But Ultraman was painful uh at first. Like it had a lot of just it's having teething issues with me at least. Um Cause I don't I don't know what their goal was, but it really feels like they've missed the mark so far. I'm really hoping the show improves, but as of right now, I'm not that into it. I enjoyed it. Don't get me wrong on that. I really did, but yeah, I enjoyed it. Just don't ever watch it. <laughs> I'm. I am trying to give it, like, its chance. I'm just having a hard time doing so. So what you're saying is it's good. (laughs) I'm just busting your chops, man. I know. It's hard hard to tell when you can just go immediately quiet. Uh, It's because I'm getting frustrated with something else. Don't worry about it. Um, (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) No, it's just it's just life. Life being a dick. Um So, moving on to the Netflix segue that I had set up so well and not even realized I was doing it. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, "Oh yeah, this amazing segue." Anyway, Ultra Q. <laughs> uh so I watched three things that I want to talk about on Netflix this week. I will have more to talk about next time, but I actually want to get further into the shows. Okay. Uh, first off, Sean the Sheep's back. Ooh, yay. And it's time for Farmageddon. Farmageddon is a new Sean the Sheep movie. Uh, I guess the first one did well enough that they made a direct-to-Netflix sequel. Okay. Yeah, Sean the Sheep was nominated for an Oscar. What? Yeah, Shaun the Sheep, the movie, was nominated for Best Animated Feature that year. 
yay, I love Sean the Sheep. I love uh, Ardman. Like, okay. That's weird, Wait, though. Wait, you, you didn't know that? No, I didn't. <laughs> what the fuck, man? I don't pay attention to the garbage. I mean, Oscars. You can at least pretend. Okay. Like, like, te- no. like, te- like, technically, it's part of our job because we cover film industry. No, no, no. See, here, here's the reason that I could never pretend. It's because I feel our opinion is as valid as the people who do the Oscars' opinion. I feel it's more so because ours is actually an opinion and theirs is a math and theirs is a math equation. Well, there you go. Uh, but Farmageddon. Um, but yeah, like fucking the Sean the Sheep. Sean the Sheep of the movie was nominated for the was nominated in the 88th Oscars. Uh, it lost to. Uh, I want to say. Like I'm, I'm trying to fucking remember what came out that year. So long as it didn't uh, lose to the uh, soccer movie. Soccer movie? There was a soccer movie that came out that was just like, okay. It, 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 lost, it, okay, it lost Inside Out. Okay. I'm not going to be mad about that. Yeah, I mean, how, how could you be mad at something for losing, to a, for losing to a Disney Pixar movie? They have billions of dollars. Of course they're going to win. Oh, wow. Fuck. G- G- Jesus Christ. That, this is ridiculous. What? So I'm looking at all of the fucking nominees and winners for looking at all the nominees and winners for best animated feature from the time they started doing it, which is 2001 to now. And so the first winner was Shrek. Wow. Then Spirited Away, then Finding Nemo, and then and like like it is. Like, is it just like mostly Pixar films? Finding Nemo, Ratatouille, Wall E, Up, Toy Story Three, Brave, Frozen, Big Hero Six, Inside Out, Zootopia, Coco, and Toy Story Four. Was Brave a Pixar film? Yeah, I thought that was a Disney film. Pixar. Well, Disney Pixar. I'm assuming there's a difference. But no, there yeah, there is. Pixar used to be independent. No, I know, I, know, I know Pixar. I know Pixar used to be independent, but like, like there there was a time where like when, after they were bought by Disney, they were still producing Pixar movies, and then there was Disney Pixar, and then there was Disney. Well, there you go. The more I know. So yeah, um, yeah and it, back to and uh, what I've been watching. Depending on how you, depending on how you count it, Spider Man into the Spider Verse was also a winner. And while technically released by Sony, it's Marvel. So, uh, as I've been saying, <laughs> um, Farmageddon, uh, Sean goes to space. And for a good minute, my wife and I were just like, how is he flying a spaceship? How is he doing all of these other things? And then we stopped for a second and said, wait a second, we've watched all of Sean the Sheep. He goes to space like three times and knows an alien. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I doubt that was in their minds as they were making this, but Sean has been to space. He understands spacecrafts. Like, like one of the big, like, overarching things of this, it, it feels like anyway, is 
dog needs to learn to trust Sean. Sean needs to learn to be less dick. Um, which is like the theme of like half the episodes. I guess the biggest problem with the Sean the Sheep movies, in my opinion, is it's a single episode's worth of story, which is a 15 minute episode stretched to 10 times that length. And it's, well, it's not really stretched to 10 times that length. They're usually, I feel like they're an hour and a half. Yeah. uh, Maybe an hour and 45, but you get my point. It, It, it's, and it's not a bad thing. Because they do fill the space with good jokes, character development, which doesn't do anything because it's a skit show. Um, Overall, it does do something with it. The problem is, there's not much to talk about. Like, in this, there is a... uh, like a Mulder-esque character who's obsessed with finding aliens, uh, who's driven to the point where she's willing to like hurt innocent people just to get to the aliens, all to show them the picture she drew as a child? Wait, what? Yeah. Yeah, she was laughed out of school as a child for believing in aliens, finally meets up with the aliens and like has the opportunity to capture them, and just shows them the picture she's held on to since she was eight years old. After turning her truck into a battle robot to make it all the way to the stage to capture the aliens. So. What? Yeah. Yeah, there are just some plot points that don't make any fucking sense. Um, the farmer, ha- like, who seems to be an infinite source of money, like, he never seems to have money issues, decides to go into a money-making scheme because he found a crop circle on his land that was caused by his animals. This seems, at least to me, like a big old case of fucking sequelitis. Yeah, it it was. I was. I'm not gonna lie. I enjoyed this film, but I agree with you completely. Like it very very much feels like sequelitis. Like we gotta crank out a sequel. They liked the first one, so we'll do something. Well, no, no. Like sequelitis. Like what I'm talking about is all right. All right. First one was successful. All right. Let's make it bigger. Yeah, that's true. Um, and like immediately after we got a return to form, like, I feel like the movie hadn't been out for two weeks when I got advertised to me, Sean, the sheep on Netflix. And it was a full season of new episodes. (laughs) And like, this has been like with silence from Sean, the sheep for a while. Like I haven't seen a show for a new episode from them in a long time. And then suddenly, hey, uh, we got new, sh- we got a new season. We added some characters. Yeah, there are going to be some recurring characters that actually get identified in the opening trailer. Uh, Sean the sheep. He even mucks around with those who cannot bleed. And like, I was like, yay! And it's it's more Sean the sheep. It's more of the show. It's more of what I loved. And I'm I'm just sitting there like, okay, I guess you're using the success of your movies to relaunch the show? I, okay. The last Shaun the Sheep I, season before this one came out in 2016, the year the movie came out. Okay. Sorry, well, the year that, after that, the movie came out. Then, uh, 
Like that's that's less of a gap than I thought, but it's still a gap. Mm-hmm. For a TV show, yeah. For a new movie, though, that was actually showing considerable restraint. Yeah. It's like, hey, hey, our animated feature won an Oscar. Okay, let's wait four years to dump out a sequel. Well, it is claymation. Like, even if it's digitalized claymation, they still have to take a lot of time to do it. Like, Ardman did... I don't know if they're still doing digital, but they did claymation for the longest time, then their studio burnt down, and they released a digital film. I don't know if they went back to claymation after that. Or if they're still, or if they were still doing digitalized claymation, where they make things look like they're claymation, but they use computers to do it. I don't know if I should feel offended that you felt the need to explain what digital claymation was to me. I'm explaining it to the one viewer who doesn't know. Okay. Because I know you know. We actually enjoy talking about rather nerdy things when it comes to film. <laughs> They're making a fucking Chicken Run sequel? What the fuck? What? Yeah, they're... Oh, Lord of Jesus, let me go get the sword. I gotta go uh, storm a studio. Yeah, production began October last year. And they're making a fucking sequel to Chicken Run. Also, I think I figured out why my uh, mic's been glitching. Okay. It looks like uh, one of the connections was loose, so I just tightened that. Like, as in one of the plugs was not 100% in. So I just tightened that connection. Okay. Um, This fucking... This fucking movie. (laughs) Okay, so... So, it's being directed by the director of Paranorman and Flushed Away... Okay. And The Tale of Despero. Those apparently all three had the same director. Tale of Despero. I don't actually know that one. Uh, it is the movie about the... It is the CG movie about the mouse with the very big ears who wants to be a knight. Oh, yeah. That piece of trash. Yes. Starring Matthew Broderick. Everyone's favorite actor. Why would they mention Tale of Despero? Because it's his filmography. Is the way that's all he's done? Those those are the things of note that he's done. Yes. Those those are the movies he has done. Well, they uh, Paranorman was certainly a step up. <laughs> that's that's yeah that's that's a, that's a way to fucking undersell that incredibly. Uh, and then it's being written, co-written by two different people, who I don't think have worked together before, or apparently they fucking have. What the fuck? <laughs> like it's this this fuck Wikipedia is a nightmare, man. So yeah, it's being co-written by the guy who did Over the Hedge, The Spiderwick Chronicle, Charlotte's Web, and The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And his writing partner, who has apparently written nothing. In the world of film, at least. Okay. Yeah, I don't get it. Like, the, the, So, Carrie Kirkpatrick and John O'Farrell are the guys writing it. And 
and I guess they, I guess they, I guess they're fucking linking to a different guy, unless this is the same guy. I don't get it. Let's move on from this. I'm hurting myself. That's the cue to move on to the next thing. Yeah, I know. I'm letting you suffer for a minute. <laughs> uh, that's affecting, so, that's affecting uh, the podcast. And? <laughs> like anybody's listening still. They, they turned off the moment I started explaining what digital claymation was. Because no one's that stupid. It's bold of you to assume they made it that far. <laughs> uh, anyway. Moving on to uh, my my final thing that I want to talk about. Um, glitch text. This is a Nickelodeon thing that got released onto uh, Netflix. Um, and it's interesting. What's the over-under on, on Nickelodeon starting their own proprietary streaming platform called GAC? Uh Given that they've got their feet in the waters of pretty much every major streaming service out there, I'm actually going to say pretty low. Yeah, because no, no company has ever decided to take all their stuff off other streaming platforms and put it onto their own. Yeah, I know. But like, it feels like they've got, like they've got a good deal going with Netflix and Verve and Hulu. I mean, they might decide. And if they do, great. We'll be back to the... Uh, Market stratagem of buying bundles from your cable provider. The thing we got away from when we started getting Netflix. Thanks, Disney. <sighs> Assholes. Um. Like, oh, fuck, I, I, I do not. I don't get it, man. I don't. I don't get it myself actually. Like, I have. I am very much in the mind of like fuck monopolies, but also yo put everything on Netflix. No, I'm okay with them putting it on other things. I just, you know, want not just Netflix. Like, I not, not I, I want them to not just have one station on for all of the programs. Like, if there was an animation station. So, um, so you want an oligopoly? No. Um, God damn it. <laughs> my brain has just debooted and I can't, my, I, my brain is just not working. Um, it's a great day to record, man. I know. It just, it's fun. <laughs> it's just fun being me. <laughs> anyway, glitch text. Yeah, glitch text. Um, so we've got two characters, uh, both of whom are gamers. One is the obsessive gamer who goes through every tutorial, reads every help text, and uh, plots out his every move before actually pretty showing some pretty good uh, agility and skill at handling themselves. The other is the fuck the rules, I'm just going to try every button until it works uh, gamer. Um... And uh, they both enter into a they both are entered into a tournament with the best gamers in the city uh, uh, in order to win some big prize. Uh, during that tournament, uh, they encounter a glitch, which like hasn't been defined as far as I am in the show, but um, 
It seems to be some kind of alien entity trapped within a computer program. Um, and like they get their memories wiped. Uh, only it's revealed girl characters' memory can't be wiped. Never coming up again. Uh, Wait, they get their what memories wiped? What? Yeah, like there's a whole organization like of like MIB esque people who like go out and capture glitches and then wipe the memories of anybody who saw the glitch. That's a oh. lot of work. Yep. Why? <laughs> what? Yep. Is, um. Is... <laughs> I don't mean to be this incredulous, but like, fuck, what the? So they go. So the g- glitch, which is not a glitch, it is a separate entity existing inside the server i'm assuming this is an online game uh it's a fuck ton of games they manifest from like every game this company's ever produced so i'm guessing ultimately we're gonna find out that there's someone evil in charge of the company who's just trying to make a super glitch or something um and please don't ask me to explain i don't understand yet like literally, I don't get it yet. Uh, I'm mostly in it no. for the frantic uh, animation style and the uh, monster of the week format. I'm trying to fucking think of like how. So like the game goes gold, they ship it out to the fucking they ship it out to get fucking printed on disc or whatever, and then just the fucking CEO comes over and goes, "Hmm, yes, this one will have an alien in it." Well, see, that's the thing. I don't know yet. I don't know. I don't know what the whole like point is like how the alien monsters are getting into the games or what have you like i just don't know and okay so there's a so there are these rogue things inside the games Mm -hmm. and uh like why is that there are triggers to there are triggers to release them that like i i assume it's a trigger thing because at one point we get like a monster that is only released once you read his character bio or some shit um like, open it or finish reading it? I don't know. Again, I don't know. It seems like you have to finish reading it, uh, and then he comes out looking to wrestle. Um, I think I am thinking about this too much in the mindset of what video games actually are and not what people making this show have told me video games are. Oh, yeah, no. That's definite. Like, they, they don't treat video games like video games. Yeah, because um, like, for I'm, one thing, uh, one of the characters actually enjoys tutorials. <laughs> what? Yeah, uh, our our calm, patient, I read everything character loves tutorials. They're his favorite part of the game. Does the man have to wear a helmet when he goes down the stairs? Ah, <laughs> uh, it would be appropriate. <laughs> like fuck, dude, that is no one. No one. Let me. No one. <laughs> enjoys <laughs> tutorials. Um. So I'll continue my summation of the first episode. Um. Fuck, man. So a uh, girl character remembering everything that happened. Goes to find boy character. I, I'm I'm calling them girl and boy character because I don't remember their fucking names. High um, five and Miko. Yeah, there you go. Um, 
she goes to find um uh she goes to find high five and tells him hey you won the tournament uh and uh is like all right we'll we'll try because i'm seeing signs that show, show me you're telling the truth even though like whatever um they encounter mitch who is the biggest dick whoever dicked because he's a dick um specifically he's obsessed with being the best and when he lost the tournament he was like i'm gonna wipe your memories and take the victory from you because fuck you i'm the best um they accidentally find the thing that lets them become glitch techs take out the monster get recruited um what's a glitch tech uh they're the ones who go out and they're they're the men in black The okay. glitch techs are the men in black. Okay, so just based on what you've told me about this series, this series is a glorification of releasing a day one patch <laughs> written by someone who hasn't who has read about what video games are but hasn't actually seen one. <laughs> yes. Okay. But the animation and the uh, and the voice acting are solid, um, and the characters are enjoyable enough that I plan to continue watching this show. And hey, I fun, hope it gets better. And so, hey, fun thing: uh, vo- Mitch is voiced by a man named Luke Youngblood. Oh no, he has the disease. <laughs> if you don't uh, get the joke, you never will. <laughs> Oh, the Luke Youngblood is also in the Fast and Furious television show. Because there's a Fast and Furious television show. Oh, yeah, no, I, I forgot about that. Um, <laughs> Yeah, that's a thing. Um, starring Dominic Tretto's cousin, who gets recruited into a fucking super elite racing spy organization. Yeah, not watching that. <laughs> Um, like I, I like the Fast and Furious movies, and even I'm not, even I'm going like, yo, fuck that noise. I despise the Fast and the Furious movies, <laughs> so <laughs> like, don't get me wrong, they're fun, they're high energy, they're exciting. No, I hate them. <laughs> um, oh god. Uh. But yeah, uh, Glitch Techs is a is an interesting show. Um, I definitely will continue watching it. It's, it's got the Monster of the Week format pretty solidly. Uh, so I'm hoping that like it will either just embrace that or it will start like uh, spinning them all into uh, one like overarching plot. Okay. But I don't count on them uh, actually doing that. Uh, so yeah, that's all I've been watching. Alrighty then. Uh, for me, I have not been watching any TV shows. Um, I've been mainly watching movies. Which is to say, I mainly watched movies for one entire day last week. Because that was the day I didn't have internet when I moved in. Yeah, I'd fallen into a bit of a rut in terms of actually engaging with stuff to actually talk about on a show just for whatever reason fucking nothing had been really interesting me 
Like there were no TV shows that I was like, oh, I need to watch that or anything like that. Like the second season of Altered Carbon came out and I had forgotten almost entirely what happened in the first season. So I was like, okay, we'll watch the first season and get the second one. Made it, made it 45% of the way through episode one of season one and then stopped watching and went to do something else. Yay. Just for whatever reason, I've been, I was in like a very weird rut. But then moved in and had nothing to do. So I was like, okay, let's watch the movies. And I just fucking banged out four movies just in a row. So I'll go in order. The Princess Bride. Love that movie. It's a fucking amazing movie. Like I have, I've watched Princess Bride before. I've talked about it on the show before. And yeah, I just kind of felt the urge to watch it again. And I did. And it's just, that movie's really fucking good. Like no fucking weird jokes, no horrible analogies. Like it's just a fucking, it's just a really good movie. Like, yeah, it has a bit, like, yeah, it has like moments that are moments that don't super work or like, uh, like the, the one that kind of stands out in my mind of just being very odd is when they get into the fucking swamp and, and like, he, like, again, like Wesley rescues Buttercup from one of the fire geysers, looks up, sees an R-O-U-S, like looks it dead in the eyes and is like, huh, weird. And then, or, or like looks at it with terror and then it leaves. Then they begin walking along discussing the fucking discussing all the dangers of the swamp and it's like oh yeah we can fucking deal with all those it's like lightning sent got scouted fucking fi- like fire things yeah don't worry they fart beforehand what about the RUSs roads of beautiful size ah oh, those don't exist out of nowhere and I'm just like wait you was it just him playing was it just him playing like like ah oh, those things aren't real you don't gotta worry about him just trying to like ease her it was him trying to keep her calm which I don't get why he did that literally seconds after seeing one not three feet from them. It's like, hey, this thing that's right over there, those don't exist. It's because he doesn't have a way to uh, deal with them, basically. He has a sword. Yes, but the other things he was explaining, oh yes, and with this, I can just counter it in this method. Yeah, but they're rats. He didn't have- like, yeah, they're big, but they're still rats. His, his way of dealing with is like, what are the roads of usual size? Oh, it's okay. I have a sword. That, that, that would be like, maybe like in modern, like, uh, sorry, this is, ter- this is a terrible analogy because it's basically the exact same thing. But it's, but it's like, hey, I have a gun, but don't worry. Like, I have a gun. It's great at dealing with people. Don't worry. There's no one around. Ignore the guy standing next to me. Like that's just a thing that I don't fully that's that's the only weird nitpicky sticking point I have of just like talking about the movie. Other than that, it's basically perfect. Other than the thing I've been complaining about for the past few minutes, it's basically perfect. Yeah, it's really good. Never watch it. You know one thing I love about that movie? What's that? Oh, yes, I've been uh, developing a, to- a tolerance for Iacane powder just for this particular purpose. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, just specifically, he's just been like microdosing with fucking talk, microdosing with the poison, just just specifically in case someone challenges him to a game of wits. Oh, the Dread Pirate Roberts. He exists in my world, <laughs> my D and D world. Of course, he does. I should, I should specify that. Yes, he exists in the world I made. It's inside my car battery. If I was Rick, if I was Rick from Rick and Morty. I'm basically a Rick, but without the alcoholism. Who are you talking to? Me. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, The Princess Bride is fucking amazing. If you haven't seen it, fucking watch it. It's it's a great movie. Also, a shockingly good movie. A Tron Legacy. Yeah, that was enjoyable. Yeah, it is. it is very odd. Like, I saw that movie... I saw that movie um, not long after we started, uh, not long after I started doing this for serious. And so that was back when I was still like, when I was back, that was back when I was even more trash at this than I currently am. For example, of my trashness, see the last five minutes. Yeah, you're better than I am. And so I didn't, and so I didn't really like catch on to much of the, much of that movie. In terms of like, you know, movie making stuff. That movie feels like a David Fincher movie for like the first half. Like all the shots, all like all of like the composition, like a lot of the shots, um, the like the color grading, the way it moves and the everything in the real world feels like a David Fincher movie. Which is very odd to say about the about the decades later sequel to Tron, which was also a very enjoyable movie. Um, I enjoyed Tron. Yeah, I think I saw it once and was bored. And that's your choice. I also really love the Tron sections in Kingdom Hearts too. <laughs> Oh, you mean the, I mean the space paranoids? Yeah, that was fun. But oh yeah, fuck man, Tron Legacy is Tron Legacy is really good. Like writing wise, it doesn't have a whole lot kind of going on there. Um, it is it's just kind of a story of it's a father and son story, both in like the good way and the bad way. And what I mean, what I mean by that is like it is, it is a story of you know Sam, the son of Kevin Flynn, and then Kevin Flynn, who is Jeff Bridges, just for anybody who doesn't know. And then it's also kind of a father son story with Jeff Bridges and a digitally de-aged Jeff Bridges. Yeah, that's honestly one of the weirdest parts for me. It's not super weird to me. Like I get it in terms of in terms of what. In terms of what they've set up about how Tron and programs work? No, no, it's not that part. It's the like early digital de aging. Yeah, that was that's rough. Like that's the part that bothers me. And it's also really weird because like the, the, at the beginning of the movie, they kind of go out of their way to not show you his face. Like like you can you can definitely tell like they digitally de aged him, but it's like kept in shadow or like done mainly in profile, so that any like 
misgivings you have about it, like any of, any of the Uncanny Valley stuff, can kind of be like either mitigated or brushed off because hey, they, they never showed it full on. And then, and then as he goes to leave, he turns around full on head on shot of the fucking CG. And then the rest of the movie, which is real fucking weird. See, I'm actually imagining that they were like, oh, God, we got to hide this shit, doing everything they could to hide it. And then, like, one of the people in charge is like, what? we can't see his face. <laughs> You've got to have a shot of his face. I mean, we're, we paid a lot of money to digitally de-age him. You've got to have his face. And then they're just like, please, no. But that meant that meant the fucking digital effects people started doing the digital effects not knowing or not planning to do Clue. Yeah, just not planning to do Clue. No, I was, I imagine like they were like, we're going to try and minimize the amount of, sh- of face we show. Yeah, just, okay, so we're going to, this is going to wear this helmet. We're going to have it on at all times. You're going to digitally de-age the chin and that's it. Hey, honestly, if I was not confident in my ability to digitally de-age the character, <laughs> that might be what I did. <laughs> Oh, fuck. Yeah, I, yeah, but my mind shut down for a second there. Great. It's it's contagious. Thanks, Cave. You're welcome. At least it's not another contagious disease that we could give each other. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, fuck it, man. Tron, Tron Legacy is a very weird movie to say that it's really good. Ending's a bit of an anti-climax. Just because, like, ending's a bit of an anti-climax just because it just kind of happens. Like, like, the big old flash of fucking white light, and then, hope it's done. Yay! Which is weird to say when the, when the, the scene leading up to that was a fucking, like, neon laser dog fight. Which ended with Tron becoming Tron again. Which that felt like a whole other fucking subplot they just kind of axed. Or like trimmed down significantly. And one really great thing came out of that movie, and that was the TV series Tron Uprising. That never got an ending. (laughs) Yeah, they, they they kept trying to build Tron to a franchise. It was so good. Tron Uprising was great. I never watched and it. And anyone who anyone who says differently is lying. Actually, yeah, how how did that do? Like aside from being one season and then Yeah, people liked it. It was a great show. And he just poop they just shot all over it and it was just like, nah, brah. You don't need that. You got us. Because fuck, fuck Disney. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I guess it was. It didn't bring in a whole lot of it didn't bring a whole lot of viewers because it's a TV show based on Tron. Then they moved it to midnight. On Monday. And then nothing. Yeah, so from there, 
some stuff I haven't ever talked about on here before. Uh, I've watched Dr. Sleep. The sequel to The Shining, which is based off of the book that is the sequel to the book of The Shining. And I have to make that distinction. Because the book The Shining and the movie The Shining are two different versions of Shining. One of the bigger differences being, for example, in the book, the Overlook was destroyed. In the movie, not so much. So yeah, I guess that actually is a bit of a weird connection. Not connection, a bit of a weird segue considering decades later sequels. Yeah. But yeah, so uh, Dr. Sleep. Uh, it is Dr. Sleep is about, is about old man Dan Torrance. Uh, the little boy from The Shining who has grown up and after yeah after the after the horrible events that happened at the fucking overlook uh, he grew up to suppress the shining through rampant alcoholism just like dear old dad ain't nothing like your pappy yeah as his life slowly fell out of control eventually he ended up in new hampshire and sobered up and began using his shining powers to help to help alleviate the pain of people dying in hospice care. He's got the shinning. Oh. <laughs> do you want to get sued? Oh, boy, do you want to get sued? No, do you want to get sued, Caveman? That's owned by Disney now. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> We're fucked. We're ruined. <laughs> But no, yeah, uh, so, yeah, so after, after the Overlook, Dan fucking grew up, became an alcoholic, sobered up, ended up in New Hampshire, and started working in hospice care, alleviating the pain of dying people. Eventually earning him the nickname, Doc, eventually earning him the nickname, Dr. Sleep. Yeah, apparently Stephen King, like, read about this, read about, like, a cat that was able to predict when people were going to die. Hmm. Yeah, like there, like there was a cat who's who was like who lived essentially a cat that like just lived in hospice care with the, all the other old people, and then the cat would, and then like the night you were gonna die, the cat was in your room. Mm, I think what we have there is a serial killer cat, and nobody's willing to catch it. Yeah, and so then when Dan starts working as a nurse in this hospice care, the cat would go into someone's room. It's like, oh, you're gonna die. And so then Danny would, so then Dan would come in and go, "Hey man, how's it going?" And then he uses fucking mind powers to take them back to a point in their life where they were the happiest, and they die happy, not in pain. Good. Yeah. I mean, I'd assume he was the murderer, and that there were murders. <laughs> he. I mean. Well, no, he. he well, he. So a, he's living in hospice care, and b, he's not like there when like he's there when they die, but it's not like he fucking. It's not like he doesn't tell anybody about it. He he works there as a nurse, and then when they die, he's the one who reports their deaths. And it's like, oh, oh, this man was old as fuck and died of being old as fuck. Hitman. We've got a hitman on on the premises. I love how I've broken dead at this point. He doesn't have a response for me. 
No, I have a response. I'm just trying to figure out how to fucking word it properly. <laughs> just, I guess I'm glad you don't work in any kind of healthcare-related field. Oh, no. You don't want me working in healthcare. Yeah, because just, oh, no, this horribly sick person died. Call the police. There's been a murder. <laughs> and I, Captain Caveman, will investigate. Captain Caveman. Just pull out a club. <laughs> It's like, sir. Is that okay. owned by Disney? I don't, is still in I don't think right? Hanna-Barbera is owned by Disney. Okay, good. <laughs> then we can make Captain Caveman jokes. Yeah, just the cop shop. It's like, okay, first, put the club down. <laughs> Second, this is the third time you've called us. There is no murder. Third, why do you have a club in a hospital? I don't know. <laughs> You need to investigate this. Okay, come with. Okay, come with me. We're gonna take you down. We're gonna take you downtown. Get, get, get you cleaned up. Give you a place to sleep. I have a house. Hey, you guys hear that? They're gonna make me. They're gonna bring me into the police station so I have a place to stay while they uh, do the investigation. Sure, we are. Sweetie. Just refusing to believe the truth. Yeah, just, just takes the club, hands it to his partner, test it for blood. <laughs> but yeah, so you'd think that. So you know, fucking. Men with psychic powers getting over alcoholism and then helping sick people die. You think that'd be enough for a story, right? Nah, son. Bring in the psychic vampires. Nah, it needed to be at least a thousand pages long. I don't think he. I don't think he. I think he's only ever written one thousand page book. Yep, and it's a fucking pain to read. Yeah, it's a thousand pages. That that will hurt your wrist holding. No, it's boring. I mean that too. But anyway, yeah. So. Yeah, so at a certain point, um, there's there's also this other girl living off in fucking living off in some fucking suburb. Her name is Abra. Cadabra. They make that joke. But no, she has the shining too. And her shining is significantly more powerful than anyone's. And so she's just kind of off to the side, just kind of using her powers as her parents get more and more freaked out because their daughter's their daughter is either a witch or possessed by a demon and then somewhere else there's a fucking tribe of psychic vampires who hunt down people with the shining to torture them so that they exude steam which they then fucking suck into themselves to make themselves basically immortal And then the psychic vampires find out about Abra because she fucking like psychically locates them after they start torturing and murdering a small boy. And then the hunt is on as the psychic vampires begin fucking trying to track down Abra and fucking get her get her shining out of her. Meanwhile, Dan Torrance is around. Like Dan feels Wasn't he the main character? He's supposed to be. Like, I don't know if this is the this is just the movie version or if the book was like this too. It feels like Dan is a secondary character in a story about him. Like it's called Doctor Sleep. And the hospice thing, there are two scenes. Two very short scenes of him in hospice. And then that's it. And then, yeah, fucking it's and then fucking Dan and Abra have been talking a bit 
like like they like they've been kind of messaging each other through um the through like a chalkboard wall in the apartment that Dan is renting. And then at a certain point, um, Abra like fuck Abra like sees the as sees the kid getting murdered, fucking like causes a like psychic explosion at Dan's place. And then he wakes up and sees and sees fucking murder bashed into the wall. But murder like how he wrote it when he was a child. Red rum. Exactly. Like 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 he sees it in the he sees it in the mirror first. So he goes so he gets up, sees red rum. He's like, oh fuck. Turns around and it's just and it's just murder written, but written again the same way with the same kind of font and the same backwards R's that he wrote when he was fucking five. Keep in mind, Abra, the person who wrote that in the wall, is like fourteen, and as far as I know, not dyslexic. So, why? Cause art, <laughs> and then and then yeah, like about halfway, then like near the end, like the last thirty minutes of the movie, is just this director doing a shot by shot remake of The Shining. God damn it! I'm oh, sorry, not by shot, not, shot, not shot by shot remake, a shot by shot homage. Because they have multiple people, there are multiple times where they have like the fucking like high angle tracking shot of them going, like walking and turning a hallway. You know, like when the like when Danny was riding around his big wheel. Mm-hmm. Uh, when when the head psychic vampire, the only one remaining, shows up at the hotel, she sees one of the elevators open up and and fucking disgorge blood, which was not a scene that happened. It was a weird cutaway about the fucking essence of the hotel fucking with them. There wasn't literally an elevator full of blood. And. And yeah, at a certain point, uh, like at a certain point, uh, Rose, the hat, the main antagonist of the film, she is like, she's like, you know, approaching Danny, like trying to force him up, like forcing him up the stairs. And he is walking up the stairs, holding the ax and shaking it like Shelly Duvall with the baseball bat. And then he specifically gets disarmed and injured in such a way that he has a limp where he then, where he has a limp. So then when he is chasing Abra around the hotel after he gets possessed by the ghost of the Overlook, he is chasing her around like Jack Nicholson did. Like literally same limp, same axe, same shirt, same jacket. That it's this weird thing. It's this weird. I don't know if this is the theme or what. Like the Overlook and all the evil seems to be trying to force Danny to be his dad. And that's the thing. Like that's, that's Danny's whole character arc is that he is just trying to, he doesn't want to be his dad, but he's like, he's trying to learn from his dad and trying to be the person his dad would have been had the overlook not exploded or had the overlook not fucking happened. Like there's an AA scene where Danny literally says that. And it all just feels incredibly heavy-handed. Oh, and there's this other plot point that means fucking nothing until literally this moment in the ho- in the hotel, where the ghost of Dick Halloran uh, teaches teaches child Danny uh, how to lock ghosts away in psychic boxes because because what once the Overlook stopped having people show up. Uh, all the ghosts left and they started like hunting down 
essentially Danny. And so whenever a ghost from the Overlook would show up, Danny would fucking put it in a box inside of his head. And so he had, and so he had fucking like, like nine thousand, like nine, like nineteen boxes or whatever in his fucking, in his fucking like mind palace, which looks like the hedge mage, hedge maze. Sorry. And yeah, and then he and fucking Rose the Hat start fighting, and it's like, hey, guess what? Ghosts, blah, and then opens all the boxes, and all the ghosts fucking fly out and eat Rose. Then the ghosts possess him and try to kill Abra, and he's like, nah, I'm, I'm a stronger. I'm a blow up this hotel, and then he does, and he dies. Oh no! And then Abra's like, "Hey, mom, my ghost powers, my, my fucking mind powers are maybe a bit scary, but this cool. We can talk to Dad, who's dead now. It's weird, I, and was completely evil. No, nope. in, in his Abra is Abra isn't. Oh, sorry, his, sorry, I, had, I got confused with characters. Yeah, That's don't. Yeah, don't worry about it. The dad's not important." The dad just fucking the dad's there to die. Cool. <sighs> and like she calls him uncle like Abra calls Dan Uncle Danny for, for most of the movie. And there is no established relationship, like actual relationship between the two of them. Which which that is a holdover from the book because in the book Abra is actually Danny's niece. Just yeah. this whole situation is so fucking weird. Like the movie itself is fine. Like the like the beginning, like pretty much everything before they get to the Overlook is actually pretty good. Then once they get to the Overlook, it is so much of a loving homage, which is to say, sucking the dick of Stanley Kubrick. I think my favorite thing about um. I actually don't like care about The Shining that much. Uh-huh. But my favorite thing about The Shining has to be that um writer of the book, Stephen King, hated it so much he went and made a movie that pretty much everyone agrees is far worse. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, for those who don't know, Stephen King hated Stanley Kubrick's adaptation. So he decided, hey, I'm gonna do it myself. And then made a fucking like TV miniseries about it. It was so dull. Yeah. Because I have watched it. Oh, good. I like to make myself suffer. (laughs) (laughs) It is so dull. I literally... This does not happen often. But I was tired and drinking alcohol to make it less painful. (laughs) I fell asleep during this miniseries. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, Doctor Sleep is Doctor Sleep is it's weird. It is a weird fucking movie. Like it's ultimately fine, I think. And if you if you're a big fan of The Shining, I guess check it out. But cuz you're basically watching someone else jerking off The Shining for the last 30 minutes, yeah. <sighs> But anyway, and then speaking of weird, let's talk about Color Out of Space. Hmm, I want to watch that. It is really good. I want to watch that. It is it is really fucking good. But 
the thing that is really weird about it is the director. I'm assuming you don't know who this is, Caveman, but have you ever heard of Richard Stanley? Nope. Okay, Richard Stanley, back in the 90s, he is a so he is a South African Yes, a South African um director. He was raised yes, born in South Africa, raised in London, like like teenage years in London and currently lives in Paris. Or sorry, not Paris, France. Paris is in France, but Paris is not France. Okay. Yeah, and so he he kind of burst onto the scene in the 90s uh, with two very well-loved cult horror movies, uh, Hardware and Dust Devil. I have heard of Dust Devil, but I don't remember Dust Devil, so I probably didn't watch it. Yeah, and so then after and so with those two movies, uh, he was then kind of approached by Miramax to make The Island of Dr. Moreau. Now, I remember The Island of Dr. Moreau. Yes, he was the original director of that movie that was fired a week into shooting. And then, hmm. I, and then I think for the rest of production, lived on set. What? Like this is, I'm, I'm, I might be, I might, I might be conflating this with a different thing, but I'm pretty sure Richard Stanley, like, he, I'm, 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 I'm double checking this. Da, 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 da. Director, um. Okay, yeah. So there was a documentary made about this. Okay, yeah, I, I think I think I might be conflating like, him living on living on set, whatever. But yeah, so he he like he been work he been wanting to work on this fucking thing for years. Um, he had worked on the script. He had like he had, like this idea of of um Bruce Willis starring in the thing. Um. He he actually he approached Marlon Brando for the role of Doctor Moreau specifically because he had been in Apocalypse Now, which is based off of Heart of Darkness, which people at the time had claimed was ripped had ripped off plot elements from Doctor Moreau, and it was this whole fucking thing. He started making the movies. There's like there's a there's a documentary called Lost Soul: The Doomed Journey of Richard Stanley's Island of Doctor Moreau, which is very interesting. And if you and if you get a chance to check it out, I would recommend it. And it kind of shows like his idea of what he wanted this Dr. Moreau movie to be, which then never got off the fucking ground. And then the studio fucking came in and was like, yo, this movie's costing too much fucking money. You're, you're a nightmare to work with. We're bringing this other guy in, which then that turned into his own other fucking nightmare. And then Richard Stanley didn't direct a movie for uh, like, For like 13, 23 years. Just a ridiculous length of time in between movies. Like, I, like I think Color Out of Space is the first, is like his directorial, is like the first like real movie he directed since Dr. Moreau fell through. Okay. Well, I am going to sit here like someone who has never read any of Lovecraft's works, doesn't want to play Eldritch Horror constantly, and doesn't give a single shit about any of these movies. Make me want to watch this movie. Okie doke. So, this movie is what happens if you take a visionary auteur director, give him kind of free reign, Give him Nicolas Cage and give him a give him a well known work by a 
by one of the most well-known and beloved writers in American literature and then have him make the story good. You had me at Nicolas Cage. <laughs> I'm not even joking. You literally was like, ooh, Nicolas Cage. And then my brain was like, oh, wait, HP Lovecraft plus Nicolas Cage. This will be a train wreck of wondrous proportions. Okay. It's not a train wreck. It is amazing. Like, it, well, you, like when you finish by saying and make it good. <laughs> like, I'm excited. Yeah, so the Colorado Space, for those who don't know, it's an old H.P. Lovecraft story. H.P. Lovecraft, for those who don't know, is an American author who is a massive racist and not that great a writer. Yeah, uh, both Dad and I have been reading his work recently. Um, like, I specifically went out and bought his collected works at, uh, at a bookstore. Um, Same. And... Yeah, he is a terrible writer. <laughs> yeah, like his... He is an idea man. Yeah, he's got great ideas, and some of them are, like, put in well. Yeah, like, he like, like he has, like, there's, like, two or three stories that are, like, decently well He's just well really bad at endings. Yeah, he's bad at endings. Like. He's bad at characters. Yeah, his characters suck. He's bad at drama. He's bad at... His monsters are great. <laughs> Are they though? Because half of the descriptions of monster, like like when he's actually able to describe a monster, it's just kind of what if a person, but weird. Okay, that's true. Because a lot of his, uh, I'll describe a monster. It was inconceivable. Yeah, like like his. Uh, th- th- this is a joke that has kind of gone around. I've seen a bunch of, a bunch of comedians take the joke before, but H.P. Lovecraft was. H.P. Lovecraft was like a genius writer, not because he was not because he was able to like create these like ridiculous like mindscapes and like fucking paint these verbal pictures. It's because he was able to make a name for himself in horror by writing by writing essentially this thing is so terrifying I can't even begin to describe it. And then everyone's like, "Holy shit, these are so terrifying!" But yeah, so the yeah, co- huh. Yeah, so the color out of space. Uh, it was a story. Originally, the story was the story was told second hand. Oh, sorry, the story was told third hand by someone who was hearing it from someone who experienced it second hand about a farmer and his family who were slowly corrupted after a after a meteorite fell from space that contained an alien color. Yeah, Lovecraft. I need to watch this. Yeah, and so the color out of space. Um, how how it goes about doing the how it goes about doing the movie is it focuses entirely on the family. Like the the character who tells the story, he is in there as a narrator at the beginning and end, but he is a tertiary character. The entire focus is around Nicolas Cage and his family, and it is a very dysfunctional family that was already kind of falling apart when the movie begins. Because they are, they are living on a farm that used to, they used to belong to Nicholas Cage's dad. Nicholas Cage is not a farmer. He has no talent for it. And he is trying to raise alpacas. That sounds like a very Nicholas Cage thing. Well, here's the thing. He's trying to raise alpacas, not because like he loves alpacas or whatever, but because he believes alpacas are the animal of the future. That sounds like a Nicholas Cage thing to do. Yeah. Um, they moved out there after Nicolas Cage's wife, um, played by, I am looking up the name right now, because I want to give these people proper credit. 
played by Jolie Richardson. Uh, she recently had a double mastectomy. Oh. Not the actress, the character. Oh, okay. I was about to say, I hope she's doing okay. You know, the character, Teresa, had a double mastectomy, and so she was feeling, you know, all the things associated with having both your breasts cut off. Uh, their daughter has started getting really heavily into Wicca. And their son is their son is hanging out with Tommy Chong. I assume Tommy Chong is a bad influence. He's Tommy Chong. He, he, the kid started smoking weed. Shrug.jpg. Tommy Chong, made uh, from Cheech and Chong, is... Oh, him. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fuck. I forgot who I was talking to for a second. <laughs> oh, I actually have one of their posters. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So Tommy Chong is in this movie. Guess, guess what kind of character he's playing? Uh, a noble laureate. <laughs> the man is the character he's playing is described as their local squatter because he lives in the Gardner's property, which is the which is the Nicholas Cage family. Doesn't pay rent mm-hmm. and just kind of lives in a weird shack that he has made out of. I'm assuming car parts. He also has a cat named G Spot. Because as the kid says... That is a very Chong thing to do. Yes, because as the teenage boy says, it's a pussy named G-Spot. How cool is that? You know, teenagers. And there was also the youngest kid uh, who is... Who just kind of is like disassociating from the family and spending a lot of time with his dog. You know, just kind of whatevs. Yeah, so the family is all kind of... Things are tense between them all. Um, and then then on the night when things are like starting to get a bit better, uh, like the daughter had just done a his daughter had just done a ritual uh, to help like protect the family and help her mom get over cancer. Uh, the son was playing some fucking like space game on his computer. The youngest kid was just you know sleeping hang out with the dog. Um, and then Nicholas Cage and his wife are about to find, about to fuck for the first time since the surgery. Then the meteor lands. And it is like this fucking gorgeous, like it's it's all like the color out of space is magenta. Like a very specific shade of magenta that that has been used, I think, before. Like I think Stuart Gordon used it. Um also Stuart Gordon recipes. I think Stuart Gordon used it when he adapted from beyond. It looked very familiar. Yes, immediately everyone's like, oh, what the fuck? Uh, and Nicolas Cage immediately begins like kind of being affected by it because he smells like this rotting body smell and no one else can smell it. But yeah, then the color begins like kind of seeping into like the groundwater um, and affecting the well at, at the uh, at the gardener place. And so and they don't, they don't have they don't have uh, like access to any kind of like, you know, purified water or anything. It is it is entirely from the well. Like their glasses, like the glass, like the ice they use, and their and their when when the guy drinks, uh, their shower water, their drinking water, 
It's all affected by this fucking color as everything slowly begins to fucking deteriorate around them. Um, Nicholas Cage, he begins like his skin begins like, you know, drying out and cracking and he starts like acting more and more erratic and kind of like his father. Um, the relationship between him and his wife. You're turning slowly, into your father. Yeah. The relationship between him and his wife slowly begins to deteriorate as his, as his wife is like, Hey, I am a stock trader. I'm doing all my business over the phone now. Fix the internet. I'm losing clients. He just kind of never gets around to it. Um, it begins affecting like the wildlife too, as as like bizarre bugs are being like birthed out of the fucking well. Um, all of like all like the vegetables are growing at like a at, like an incredibly accelerated rate, but they're all completely inedible. Uh, the the alpacas are like able to like get out of the barn easier, more easily and stuff. Well, sorry, not not able to get the barn more easily. Time is time is warping there, so they're kind of being rewound to a point where they aren't in the barn anymore. And just things slowly begin to degrade and degrade and degrade over time as the as the as the color takes more and more effect in the surroundings and it begins to change the environment in a way. Um, like over the over the course of the movie, a like magenta filter is like a magenta haze is kind of like begins to hang more and more over the area. Uh, like the image I sent in the D and D chat. Uh, last like this past week that is kind of what that's what the movie looks like at the kind of the peak of at the, at the peak of the color's influence because and like with the tree that like the tree has like the limbs are tentacles that are moving it looks well, I've seen enough porn to know where this is going you'd think but uh, it looks fucking incredible um like the cinematography, the production design team, they did a fucking fantastic job. Um, the movie, I think only the movie had like a $12 million budget. So it's not exactly, so any of the CG stuff they do isn't exactly like up to, up to snuff, but it does what it needs to do. And they, and for like the bigger shots, they're able to do, they're able to like obscure it enough in, they're able to either obscure it enough in shadow or in blinding light in blinding magenta light that it's forgivable. And they do a lot of it with practical effects that look fucking great. And oh man, I, uh, the one or two like issues I have with it is like some of the dialogue is a bit clunky at times and honestly kind of Nicolas Cage, like when Nicolas Cage starts going like full on fucking like ridiculous, crazy, he starts slipping back into like vampires kiss Nicolas Cage. Oh, that's awesome. Like in accent only. Oh, and it doesn't super work out that great. But yeah, this movie's fucking fantastic. And and I hope hopefully this won't be the last one because while this movie didn't make a whole lot of money, I think it made back less than a million on a $12 million budget. Uh, Richard Stanley has said that he is currently working on adapting the Dunwich Horror. Which he hopes will be part of a trilogy of uh, H.P. Lovecraft adaptations he's working on. Okay. With See, I love I love movies and TV shows based on H.P. Lovecraft shit. So yeah, yeah I, I, I like it when people with actual talent adapt H.P. Lovecraft. When people who can actually enact really cool ideas work with an ideas man, they can actually make some pretty good shit. 
That's why I need someone who can adapt my ideas. <laughs> anyway, yeah, fuck, man. Color Out of Space is really good. If you, if you get a chance to check it out, I would I 100% recommend it. It is a fucking amazing movie. Uh, is it streaming anywhere? Um, places where you have to pay for it. Okay, well, I might have to pay for it. Yeah. Ah, yeah, fuck. Anyway. Yeah, there's more watching then. Uh, News-wise, I haven't been really keeping up on that because I'm good at my job. Well, one big thing that's happening is due to the quarantine, a lot of uh, movie companies are uh, streaming their, uh, are starting to stream their movies. Uh, You obviously still have to pay for them. Yeah. But, uh, and that's starting to scare some theaters because with the announcement that uh, Trolls is, uh, the new Trolls movie is being sent to streaming on release day. They're worried that, uh, you know, movie companies are going to realize, hey, we don't have to let you guys take part of our income, which would be a very, very bad thing for the uh, movie theater enjoying public. So hopefully movie theaters die in the next couple months. Hopefully they don't, because I I love going to a theater. I fucking hate movie theaters. I love movie theaters, except when there's assholes. And then I'm six foot tall. Like, I've lost a little bit of weight, so I now only get to say I'm almost 300 pounds. But almost 300 pounds, nobody talks if I tell them to shut up. <laughs> I don't... Some, I... Ah, fuck. It may just be because my theater sucks. I don't know. But I don't really feel like... I don't, I don't, I don't think that the, the movie-going experience is at all elevated by going to somewhere else to sit in a chair that's not mine... In a room with other people where I have to wear clothing and shoes <laughs> to watch a that's movie, big, to watch a movie, big ask. Yeah, to watch a movie at an angle. I can understand that. But for me, um, the idea of being able to go to a theater, sit in, you know, like a different chair than what I'm used to having being forced to sit up. Because one of the big things, I can't watch movies at home with certain people because they fall asleep halfway through. And when you're at a theater, it's harder to fall asleep, in my opinion, anyway. Um, get movie theater popcorn, because it's a pain to browbeat my wife into making popcorn. She's better at it than I am. Um, and and uh, get a giant soda. Oh, man, I want some soda now. <laughs> Just sitting here talking about this is making me hungry. <laughs> um, yeah, for this, I make yeah, pancakes. Like, like it's it's mostly the snackage that I love going to a movie theater for, because there's something about movie theater snackage. Watching a movie with the popcorn, the soda, the little thing of candy, cuddling up to my boo, put my arm over her shoulders, and then being uh, told in a gruff voice, "Oh, your wife's sitting on the other side." <laughs> <laughs> I got a derisive snicker. That's all I ask. <laughs> Yeah, I, I would yeah, much. I, I would rush. I would much rather take the thirty-five dollars used to buy one thing of milk duds and a thing of popcorn and a soda. <laughs> That's not even wrong. And That's then not even wrong. And then, like going to the movies now with me and my wife is like a fifty-dollar expenditure. Yeah, like I, ugh. like why? Like I can understand, I guess, the sleep thing, but that's what you get for watching movies with people. I don't often have a choice. <laughs> whereas, whereas me. I watch movies primarily alone. So being able to sit in a chair I'm comfortable in and then also at any point pause the movie so I don't miss anything, go to the bathroom and cook like food. Like, hey, like, hey, pop. That's the other thing is I don't have to do any of the work. 
<laughs> like, I just give them the money, and they're like, we have a clean-ish chair, and a bucket of popcorn that you can get infinite refills on, and soda, and all you have to do is walk. <gasps> yeah, I'd much rather, like, spend, like, you know, 20 minutes making a pizza, and watch that movie in a chair that is mine, by myself, on a screen that is mine. Well... I, A, don't really have a choice as far as the by myself thing goes, because my father-in-law doesn't know what a closed door means. <laughs> That's a joke. That's a joke at his expense. Um, he does he does often come up and go, hey, I want to interact with you guys. And I'm just sitting there like, I was enjoying not interacting with anything. What does antisocial personality disorder mean? Well, first off, it shouldn't be classified as a disorder, but, you know, people are assholes. Yeah, it really week. sucks. It really <laughs> sucks having ASPD and not having anyone actually listen to you when you say you want to be alone. Hmm. Yeah, I'd imagine. I, I, yeah, that actually does sound like it's terrible. Mm-hmm. Anyway. I'm fucking hungry, so I'm going to make some pancakes and then watch a movie. Yeah, I'm probably going to go lay down for a nap. So we have plans. Awesome. Yep. Equally enjoyable plans. <laughs> wonderful wonderful plans uh, <sighs> anyway that's gonna do it for this week thank y'all for joining us we'll be back we'll be back at some point eventually um until then practice your social distancing wash your hands for 20 seconds at a time yeah and if you have a cough sneeze or anything that could cause you to uh, spray particulate into the air wear a mask for the safety of others yeah protect yourself protect each other spring break 2020 Uh, we'll see you guys next time I'm dead and I'm caveman bye goodbye have a wonderful time